This is Tell Me What to Read, the podcast from booktopia.com.au. I'm Mark Harding, and today we have an incredible YA lineup for you. First, Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff discussed the thrilling conclusion to the Aurora cycle, Aurora's End, with Sarah McDuelin. And then, best-selling author Garth Nix discusses his return to the Old Kingdom and his new book, Tercial and Eleanor, in another conversation with Sarah McDuelin. Check the show notes for timestamps for both of these conversations. Now, over to Sarah for her chat with Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff. I'm Sarah McDooling and I'm very excited to be talking today with two exceptionally awesome people, Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff, about their new book, Aurora's End, which is the final book in the best-selling Aurora cycle. Amy and Jay, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having us back. Yeah, it's always great to be here. Now, for all the people listening, can you just tell them a little bit about what to expect from Aurora's End? Uh, we haven't we haven't done this yet. <laughs> this is our first interview, so we don't have the spiel down. Excellent. Let's get it raw. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I guess it's it's impossible to do without referencing the uh, the first two books a little. But you know, book two ended in um, explosive fashion, and book three sees the squad scattered through time and space, and. How, do, how, how would we put it? They're going, there's going to be some really exceptional deja vu. They're going to make some history, quite literally, and maybe they're going to get it all together just in time. Get, get the band back together just in time to save the universe. Yeah. <laughs> or the galaxy, anyway. You're always so great at finding the perfect tagline for your book. So this one is, it's about time. That was actually Alan and Unwin, I think, who came up with that. That was our publisher. Hey, excuse me. Over was here. it? Really? I don't I mean, my memory is not the best, as you know, so we I'll take your word for it. working at your place, and we went to that place on the corner where you get coffee. Oh, yeah, right. We talking about taglines, and I was like, what about both because of the timey-wiminess and also because people keep yelling at us that they want to know what happened after the, um, after the fifth <laughs> end of book two? What about we just make it? It's about time. There because you go. it's about time and also it's about time. You laughed so hard at my joke then and now you're giving it to other people. No, I was very amused by it. I just gave credit to the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. My Not bad. I know, terrible. I think, I mean, it's, a, it's an awesome tagline. It immediately, it works on levels. I love, I love a book with some timey-wiminess. This is... I just want to say, like, one of the best conclusions to a series I can recall. It's so pitch perfect. Everything gets wrapped up in such an amazing way. Really, I just was in standing ovation territory at the end of it. Like, bravo. I'm always keen to know when things end in such a perfect way. Did you start out book one writing towards this exact ending? Or did things sort of change a little bit along the way? We had an idea. Some some of it was planned all along. Um, the timey-wiminess of it, some of it was definitely planned all along. We knew there were going to be time travel shenanigans, but I, 
don't think we knew exactly how it was going to work. Uh, and we didn't know, I mean, we knew there was going to be a conclusion of a particular flavor, but we weren't sure what exactly that was going to be. And it ended up being something quite different to what I had in my head, at least. That's yeah. one of the things I really like about the book. The ending, I think, surprised us both. The kind of, yeah. the note it went out on, like we kicked a few ideas back and forth. Um, and, and initially, I think, at least in my head, we had, you know, big pew pew kind of space battle, attack yeah. the death star type thing. I still but that just felt wrong for the book, yeah. Yeah, one day I was working and Jay called me, which is unusual. Jay's not much of a phone person. And so when the phone rang, I was like, something terrible oh, happened. Some, <laughs> he's, a, he's, a, he's arrested again. Right. Uh, but no, he was ringing to say, I've just got a sense that maybe instead of the space battle, and he sort of started talking about just the beginnings of the way it ended in, instead, at which point I just have the clearest memory of being like, oh, Yep, no, I see what you're saying. Stop talking right now. I, I, I got to go write a thing down. Just leave, leave me alone for a week. I'll bring it yeah. back to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you literally just said that. You were like three yeah. or four times. Yep, leave it with me. <laughs> yeah, stop talking to me now. I got it. I got Shut it. Up. I got it. It's in my head. Don't run yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was one of the cool things. Like, we have to be quite buttoned down in the way that we work together. Like, any co author situation, you've got to be quite concise in the way you plot because you need to know what your co-author is thinking if you're if you have a secondary character that you have some really cool twist planned for and they they kill them off or whatever then that's going to ruin all your plans but the ending the shape of the ending in particular was quite fluid and the way it became something different to i think maybe what we both in our head is one of my favorite parts of the book it's definitely my favorite of the trilogy for a lot of different reasons, but that's one of them. It was really quite surprising in the writing of it. Yeah. It's really spectacular. Well, and it doesn't happen that often, or at least it doesn't happen that often for me, that as you're writing something, you know it's definitely working. Yeah. Um, you know, often you write something and you think, you know, you're definitely, there's this great Shannon Hale comment about how, um, quote, sorry, about when you're, you're drafting, you're just throwing all the sand in the sand pit. And then you'll come back in revisions and you'll, you know, you'll make the sandcastles in revisions once you've got all the raw material. And just every so often as you're writing something, you're like, no, I got this. I got this. And I think it's because it was the right ending for the series. And when, yeah. you, when you trace the, you know, the arc of the whole series and then you can see the exact place where it lands, it's actually not hard to connect those last few dots. But I'm glad we connected them the way we did. Yeah, it, it definitely felt like it was, you know, it was the story it was meant to be, which yeah. which sounds a little bit arty and a little bit hippie, but yeah, it felt it definitely felt like the right ending. So yeah, that was cool. No, that's it in a nutshell. And why I asked the question, I'm always like hesitant when we're trying to be spoiler free in a in a podcast. It's sort of a bit counterintuitive to then try and talk to you about the ending of the about book, the which end. we can't <laughs> which we can't discuss, right? But I, I wanted to ask the question because to me, it struck me as a really perfect yet somewhat unexpected conclusion. And I just wanted to, it sort of, I, I just wanted to know if it had been in your back pocket the whole time or if you discovered it as you were writing. And it sounds like maybe one of those situations where you subconsciously had it in your back pocket the whole time and it revealed itself to you towards the end. Yeah, I think that's the right way to put it, yeah. But yeah. Some, of it, some of it we had planned all along. 
Mm. Like there are clues in book one that we had kind of laid the groundwork for um, that came to fruition in book three. So there were definitely elements that were planned, but yeah, some of it was still really surprising, which is what made it fun. Um, I want to get superficial for just a moment and talk about the look of the book. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. This is, I think, I mean, it's a beautiful series and every cover has been gorgeous with the artwork from of Charlie Bowater, but like, this one is my favourite, I think. Um, I don't know if it's just that I really love green or I really love thin or what it is, but I just, it's it's amazing. Was it difficult for you to choose who would feature when you've got such a cast and you've got three books, but you've got such a larger cast? Did you always know who would be on the cover? I mean, I think uh, he was a lead contender from pretty <laughs> early on. Yeah, he's a bit of a fan fave. Yeah. So, yeah, and it was kind of the logical of choice. Life. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, it, it just, there, there actually wasn't that much debate by the time we were picking yeah. characters for book three. Um, both, yeah, both because of the way we felt about the character, but also the way readers feel about him as well. Mm. He, is a, he is a bit of a fave. So, yeah, the, I think that was a really short discussion. It's probably only yeah. like 30 seconds long. Yeah, and he's, you know, I mean, one of the things about, you know, Betraskans, his his species are, they've got these incredibly complex familial relationships uh, that you know no one ever understands, and we're always talking in the book about you know how connected he is to the others. That you know it's it's on a biological level incredibly important to him to be part of a family and part of a group, and he um you know he finds that family in his squad, and you know I mean ultimately the whole series is about finding your family. So I think you know, in, in many ways, having the character on the front who, to whom it's most important to have that family. And, you know, he might not be the first one to say it, but he's, you know, he fights hard for it. I think, you know, that sort of felt right in wrapping it up. Charlie did a great job. Like, she's oh, super talented. Like, so lucky to work with her. Yes. I was looking at all three of them on the shelf because we got our copies the other day. And, like, as a suite, they just look incredible together. Like, yeah, yeah cannot sing Charlie's praises highly enough. She's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, they're beautiful books, inside and out. <laughs> yeah. And, and Deb, our designer at Ellen and Owen, is also just a gun. Like, yeah. she's, it's, it's awesome to work with talented people because they send you stuff and you just say, that looks amazing, and that's the end yeah. of the conversation. <laughs> Don't and, change anything. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is. Yeah. And, you know, it's nice not to be a pain in the behind. It's nice yeah. when they send you something not to be like... And you just oh, say, it's cool. perfect, full Very stop, easy. send. <laughs> yeah. It's so, ni- it's so nice to be so easy, but they make it so easy, I think. Yeah. yeah. And you know what's really funny is the very first conversation we ever had about this cover, our editor in New York said to us, when you, you know, no promises, but when you dream of the covers of this, this series, what do you dream of? And we said a Charlie Bowater illustration. <laughs> and there was then a very long journey before that came to be. But, yeah. You know, it was... Um, we got there in the end. We got there in the end and she's so perfect for the series. It's, I mean, look, and it made me sort of revisit a question that I've asked with every book that has come out in this series, which is, who is my fave and I can't like I literally can't decide this is so unusual for me sometimes I can't narrow it down to like one favorite particularly when it's 
the two of you writing a book. Um, so who, who are the contenders? Like, do you have like a top two or at least? Or I actually, I'm not even kidding. It, it's going to sound obsequious, but I, I, I can't pick. Like, <laughs> they are all, I would take a bullet for every single one of them. They are oh, all nice. just so, but I wanted to know, is that true for you guys as well? Did you like have a little, is it a really cruel question to ask? Do you like have a little secret? Which one, which one of your kids do you like the best? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that like, I don't know, I, I think most parents would say even if, it, even if they have an answer, they probably shouldn't. Not in front of them. And no. the, books are, the books are literally behind me so they can hear me when I talk. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't say anything. I can't actually think of another series where I miss completely 100% evenly in love with the whole cast. And I think the reason for that is the reason that I, I love these books. It's like they're two intrinsically linked things, which is that it's really, they, these books give you everything. So like you have all your you have all your bases covered here. That you have like a really fast-paced, character-driven adventure story. It's funny. It gives you romance. It gives you action. It gives you philosophy, and you and you do all of that while also um, on the stage of this like rock-solid world building that uh, you've created. So the and the result is that the books are kind of. Like when you finish reading, I read, I've read the spinal book twice now, oh, and wow. it's given me a huge book hangover. And I have already read Illuminate enough times that rereading that series is just not going to get rid of this book hangover for me. So I wanted <laughs> to ask you guys because all of the people who are so desperate to read this book are about to be in exactly the same position that I'm in, <laughs> getting to the end of just going, well, now what? So what do I do? Can you direct me to some similar sort of space opera adventures? Um, perhaps maybe some of the books that might have inspired you when you conceived the Aurora series. Um, or, you know, please note, I will also accept TV or movie recommendations. Uh, I mean, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was a big inspo for us. Um, old yeah. school Star Trek Next Generation was another one. Um, Babylon 5. But these are all shows that, I think there's a danger in actually going back and visiting them. Like we watched them when we were kids and they're yeah. formative. And often when you go back and watch the stuff you loved as a kid, you realize that it's not as good as you remember it being. <laughs> like yeah. ba Bab Five is one of those cases. Like I was a Bab Five fanatic. And you go back now and it, it's just not what you remember it because you're a different person now. So, yeah. but in, ter in terms of those kind of world building structures, that were kind of the three big inspos for us, I think. Yeah. And I think, it's funny when I'm being inspired by something, I actually don't, I, I deliberately don't go back to it for that reason. I, I write inspired by how it made me feel and what I remember it to be because yeah. that's, you know, the building block I want, not what it actually, because now I'll read it and, you know, the world's changed and so have I, and I'll be like, oh, this is not as good as I thought and also mm, more problematic than I remembered. And, you know, instead I want to, you know, it's the vibes you want to take out of it. But there's also... Yeah so much good stuff right now like um you know for an aussie book uh in the dark spaces by callie black is you know it's it's not riotously funny it's it's a serious book but it's set in space it's got unbelievable world building and i think you know it's fantastic voice it won a, a heap of prizes uh but i was i was lucky enough to get it really early in its life and and blurb it and launch it and i've been screaming about it ever since 
And I think if people are looking for, um, you know, really fun space shenanigans, then uh, Once in Future by Corey McCarthy and A.R. Capetta is a, a very, very funny, very kind of rompy, very queer retelling of King Arthur in space that I think would be a good, a good next read if you enjoyed stuff like ours. King Arthur in space sounds amazing. Yeah. Oh, well, look, if you didn't already have such a brilliant tagline for Aurora's end, fun shenanigans in space would be a contender. <laughs> kind of what we do, yeah. <laughs> um, I mentioned your world building, and I know that there must be so much to, to make all of the technology and the different societies in this book sort of ring true, that there must be so much research that goes into it. So if you can answer this in a non-spoilery way, what was the sort of most interesting or, or crazy thing you had to research when you were writing Aurora's End? Or, you know, the series in general, if you'd rather. Uh, just the way space works. Space is yeah. extraordinary. And you, when, you, when you grow up consuming pop culture, you often get really incorrect ideas about the way yeah. space actually works. Yeah. Like, don't, don't watch science fiction if you want to know how it actually works in space. Watch... Like SciShow Space was probably one of our big inspos in terms of the way space actually works. And it's incredible. It's fascinating. Like we're, we've only got the barest glimpse of it and it's already just extraordinary. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that was kind of our, one of our big go-tos. Chris yeah. Hadfield as well. Like we named the ARC ship that Aurora was on when she, was, when she left Earth, the Hadfield. That's in... Dedication to Commander Chris Hadfield, who's a Canadian astronaut. He did a bunch of videos when he was living up on ISS and they're still up on YouTube today. And he would do just simple stuff like demonstrating how you brush your teeth in zero gravity because water obviously reacts incredibly differently when it doesn't fall downwards. So something as mundane as brushing your teeth becomes this Herculean, really difficult task. <laughs> so, yeah, and, th and those videos are still up online. They're up on YouTube. So... If, if yeah. you have a, a spare few hours, go and watch them because it's just incredible, like the way everyday life changes dramatically because of the environment that you're living in. Yeah. I think, I think the toughest brain thing we did, and this is entirely on us, is I have this memory when we were working on the Illuminae files. The two of us, we were sitting in this pub together uh, working through this spreadsheet we had made because in the Illuminae files, every document has a timestamp on it. And that meant that we had to work through, and, and often they weren't happening in the same place. So there'd be, you know, something on this ship and something on that ship. And us, the two of us working through and trying to timestamp every document and keep consistent, for instance, if in a document someone moved from this part of the ship to that part of the ship, how long does that take? What have we previously established and therefore how many minutes does this need to take? And it was like doing a 10,000 piece puzzle, you know, of random blobs of color without a picture of what it was meant to look like. And it was a nightmare. And we both looked at each other and said, never again. <laughs> and it's the kind of detail that no yeah. one cares. No, no one cares. No one reads. But no, you know someone if, would find a mistake. But if you someone make a mistake, someone will <laughs> we'll find it right. <laughs> and so we said, we'll never do it again. And so then uh, we found ourselves in book three of Aurora. Once again, timing how long it took to get from place to place and uh, trying to make, I mean, when, every, when everyone reads where a few of the characters are, Finn and, and Scarlett and Zilla, I want them to know 
the, the, <laughs> how hard that was. How hard that was <laughs> and how many timings we had to work out to get from A to B and how long does it take and timing myself walking around the house to see how long it takes to walk certain distances and, you know, about halfway through when I was like, oh, what if we move to a mountaintop and never write a book? What about that? <laughs> Part of my brain was like, you had all what the information if, that you needed to avoid this and you made a choice. go back in time and tell ourselves never to write Never to do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Entirely on us, though. We had all the experience yeah. we needed to avoid that and yet we made choices. Yeah, and we knew it going in as well. Yeah. <laughs> no one to blame I, but ourselves. Yeah, time travel is really hard to do well. Mm. Uh, things break really easily when you're doing time travel. So that was, yeah, it that that sequence in the book probably took twice as long as the other sequences to yeah. work out, even though it takes up the same amount of space, just this level of complexity there. And you don't see a lot of it, but yeah, yeah. getting it all to fit together behind the scenes was, yeah. was hard work. <laughs> I remember we went away for a weekend to work on it oh. and we were just sitting in silence for hours on end, especially bouncing <laughs> ideas back and forth. Yeah. And we're just sitting there furiously trying to figure out a way to make this thing work. Yeah, yeah. That was, it was rough. It was rough. Yeah. And then you read it and it just, it feels so effortless. I mean, it worked out great <laughs> in the end, Good. which is another really cool thing about it. Like we're really proud of the way it worked, but yeah, if you saw how that sauce, particular sausage got made. <laughs> oh, not glamorous. No, no. Okay, well, we've touched on the challenging aspect. What would you say is perhaps the fun, the, the most fun part of writing this series? Oh, there's so, honestly, there's just so, I mean, the best thing about co-authoring is when you send something across and, it, and you hear back from your co-author that you've nailed it, getting that immediate feedback and knowing that they laughed or knowing that you... <laughs> you gave them a lot of feelings and like, I, I got to write, you know, a really emotional bit in this, in this. I book. think, I think it's the best stuff you've ever written. Like oh. if I'm, if I may be, be nice for a minute <laughs> and break, break, break my uh, traditional aesthetic. Yeah. Like I remember reading the end and could just tell. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. I think it's the best stuff that Amy has ever done. Um, and it was like, I, like I say, because it was so unexpected, and worked so well it was like it was like opening up presents on christmas day when amy was sending me those final files like every every chapter that i read was just oh man i, I don't want to change it was it was like getting those illustrations from charlie or the designs from deb it's like this is perfect don't change anything don't touch it <laughs> just oh, leave it finished. put it down <laughs> yeah yeah um it was great i genuinely think it's the best writing that I have ever read it was just yeah it just worked it, just, it was bang on so that was it was cool just to be part of that um and and like because the start of the book was it was a slog like it was a lot of mathing and a lot of a lot of logic puzzles um and it felt like we were kind of running uphill and right in the end of it was the exact opposite it was just like, oh yeah this is perfect it totally works we don't have to change anything like and it, and it arrived in an unexpected and roundabout way. So it, it, I, know, I know, again, it sounds kind of hippie, but it feels like it was just meant to work that way. So, yeah, it, that, that was my fave, just being, being in, in the car while that happened. That was cool. It was very cool. 
I feel like I have to say for the listeners who can't see, we can all see each other while we're recording and, and listeners can't, but I'm just sitting here with like the soppiest look on my face. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, praise for me is very hard once. <laughs> you guys have been waiting six, six books for this moment. <laughs> But I'll let you, like when you when I say something nice, you know I really mean it because <laughs> I never say anything nice. But it, but I mean you're completely right that it was such a slog at the start because we actually wrote the book. There's there's three sort of storylines running through the book, and we wrote them one at a time. Yeah. So the the start was just all uphill, and in it, and it really did feel at the end like just getting to stand up and stretch after being in a cramped position for a long time. It was kind of like solving a jigsaw puzzle. Like, you know how the yeah. closer you get to the end of a jigsaw puzzle, the easier it gets. Yeah. You, yeah. you have like seven or eight different pieces rather than a thousand. That's what writing the book felt like. It was extremely difficult at the start. And the further into it we got, the more it just kind of clicked all into place until by the end it was just, oh, it's obvious what we do here now. Yeah. yeah. It does have that feel of it. The perfectness of the ending does have that feel of resting a final piece in a puzzle but as a reader you know I'm doing it crying and laughing at the same time because there's so many emotions um throughout the whole throughout the whole book really I feel like you um are real emotional puppeteers the two of you (laughs) together because it's like I just felt completely like you endanger everyone you have me like there's so much poignancy in one moment and then there's hilarious dialogue and then there's a really like amazing romantic moment and then we're back to life in peril and then we go we go in that fashion all the way up to the end to this glorious um really perfect conclusion and I literally was crying for for the most part of the end and I missed um, it up I missed it up a bit at the end (laughs) one of the one of the interesting things was when we had assembled those three parts though one of the more difficult decisions we had to make was whether we were going to braid it together do you remember that Ames like we actually had a version of the document where the three different uh, I guess um storylines yeah yeah the plots the three different groups of people who get separated we had a version where it was just one chunk of group a and then the entirety of group B and then the entirety of group C and they came together. So that was one of the more difficult decisions we had to come to, whether we were going to thread it together and whether it would be too complex as a result or whether we kept them separate. Yeah, it was because, at, at, we, because they are quite complex storylines. The concern was if we give you all of, you know, storyline with characters, the, f- the first few characters at once, do you have a better chance of following it than if we braid the whole thing together? But in the end, we decided, you know, to trust the reader to follow it. And we also worried that by the time we got to the conclusion, group A would be so distant from memory that it wouldn't feel as immediate. Yeah. And their fate wouldn't feel as immediate. But, yeah, there was... And then once we decided to braid, there was a lot of, okay, what goes where and shifting back and forth and was... It felt like crafting something very much. It felt like I don't... Making decisions that I think, you know you could tell it was our sixth book together. You know, it was time to sort of be like, okay, we've done this a lot. We know what we're doing. Let's really sit down and nut this out and be more guided by craft and less by instinct, which I think for those types of decisions is really important. Mm. Well, I mean, I don't often finish a book weeping tears of joy, 
and laughing at a sly little line of dialogue and it it just it was a perfect final moment like in that credit rolls moment you're just like oh. so so perfect i'm so excited for all of the fans to read this and i'm going to be like waiting for all of the reactions online because i just think people are going to lose their minds i have loved this world and these characters so much i'm really quite sad to reach the end of this trilogy do you think that I mean, the, these character stories are over, I feel. Like, I mean, mm. if you told me you were going to write more, I'd be like, yes, please. I will, I will, like, read them just hanging out together. It doesn't <laughs> even have to be a plot. I'll just read them, like, anything. But I feel like their stories is over. But would you ever kind of consider returning to this universe again? Um, I mean, you never know. Like, there's not an immediate plan, but it's a very big galaxy that we've built. So... Yeah, there's yeah. certainly there's certainly potential in terms of structure. Yeah. I think this story is told like yes. the 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 threat has been I mean the 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 problem that the threat presented has been solved. Yeah. And it feels like a cool ending for those characters. But yeah. the structure is still in place to do something cool down the line. Kind of like yeah. you know, Star Wars or Star Trek, like the universe itself is a cool place to play. Yeah. So yeah, never saying everyone going back to other crews or other, you know, other storylines in the same place. Yeah, it's just a cool world to be in, and the, the different um, species. What, what, yeah. what do races? Species. I don't know the different well, like cultures. They used to say different races, but yeah. of course they're not. They're they're entirely different species. So. It's there. It's just a cool world. Yeah, I'd love to go aliens. there again. Yeah. Uh, now we've come to the part of the podcast where I ask you both what's up next, if you're allowed to talk about it, either writing together or separately or whatever you've got up next on your horizons. Do you want to go that first, James? You've got a new thing, so. Yeah, I've got I've got loads of things. So in January, I've got. Um, Beyond the End of the World coming out, which is the sequel to The Other Side of the Sky, uh, I'm, which I'm so delighted to finally have out in the world because it's been written for a while and it's, it's the wrap-up. It's a duology. There's just two of them. So it's the end of the story and, I don't know, it was an incredibly hard book to write because it was written entirely in lockdown and, you know, I think any... Anyone who creates anything will tell you that it was hard to fill the well, but we got there. And then in February, I have uh, Rebellion of the Lost, which is the, um, the sequel to The World Between Blinks, uh, which is my, my shot of pure sunshine um, middle grade series that, that's full of historical nerdery and I love very much. Um, and then my big next project, which isn't coming till 2023, is The Isles of the Gods, which is a fantasy that's got magic and gangsters and a very spoiled prince and a sailor who did not ask for him to be on her boat and a scholar who never volunteered for a quest and was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, and for that one, I'm, I'm actually going to be uh, starting a, a podcast called Pub Dates uh, with a friend who also, uh, Kate Armstrong, who also has a book coming out in 2023, and we're going to count down to the release together and sort of do a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. So for for listeners, I guess, who enjoy hearing us ramble on about how our books get made, I think pub dates might be 
might be for that for them. So you got three books in five months. No, 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 no. Uh, one in Jan, one in Feb, and then Isles isn't out until 2023. No, no, but Aurora. Like, you've got Aurora. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Oh, Aurora's already been in my brain. <laughs> busy yeah. lady, busy lady. But then I get a year off. Yeah. That Three has not in happened. five months is, <laughs> that's a lot of work. <laughs> I mean, I've, yeah, I've done four in a year a couple of times, and I won't lie, I'm tired, but since my first book came out in 2013, I have not had a year off. So this is, this, I'm, I'm going to, I got a bunch of things I want to write. It's going to be great. I'm pretty pumped. So that will be 2023 that you have a year off? will be the, oh, no, no. From, from Feb 22 to whenever in 23 Isles comes out. Right. So, like right now we're talking about April, but anyone will tell you that calendars that far out don't really mean much yet. Well, that will be a very well-earned holiday by the sounds of it. <laughs> a holiday in which I'll write three books. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you, Jay? You're writing vampires forever and a day. Yeah, I'm just, I'm all on Empire 2 at the moment. So uh, I'm about 100,000 words into that. And experience has taught me the book twos tend to be longer than book ones, um, <laughs> which means I'm, I'm probably around a third of the way through. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm just working on that until, until it's done. So I'm in the land with no sun. <laughs> <laughs> so like when I say I'll write three books, he will as well. His three books are just one. <laughs> I just, I'm just stupid enough to put them all in the one cover. <laughs> but yeah, um, it's been great. The reception for Empire has been awesome. Um, and there's lots of cool things happening behind the scenes that I'll hopefully get to talk about soon. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I am in the land with no sun for, for the foreseeable future. <laughs> Amazing. I love asking you both that question because I get to hear about all of the things to look forward to, but then I also am plunged into the, now I want all the things that I'm looking forward to. <laughs> so, to We're working hard on it. <laughs> We're right in blast. <laughs> well, I think we're sort of out of time, so... Amy and Jay, thank you so, so much for joining us today. It is, as always, a pleasure to chat with you about your books. Yeah. Thank you for Thanks having us. Thanks for having us. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And that was that, that was our first one, so hopefully we weren't too rusty on the, on the <laughs> spiel. Uh, I'm honoured to have been here for the first time you guys do your, um, yeah. for the beginning of the Aurora's End publicity. Yeah. Um, so for everyone listening, be sure to grab your copy of Aurora's End, as well as any of Amy Kaufman's and Jay Kristoff's other books, every one of which I highly recommend, at your local bookstore or online at Booktopia. Thanks for listening and never stop reading. Now, Sarah chats with Garth Nix. Hi, I'm Sarah McDowling, and I'm so delighted today to be talking with the always amazing Garth Nix about his latest Old Kingdom novel, Tercial and Eleanor. Garth, thanks so much for joining us today. It's great to be with you again, Sarah. Now, for the people listening, can you tell them a bit about what to expect in Tercial and Eleanor? 
Aha, what to expect. Tessiel and Eleanor is uh, the sixth book in my Old Kingdom series. It is a prequel to Sabriel, uh, and it's actually the story of Sabriel's parents, Tessiel and Eleanor, surprisingly enough. Um, and it's really about their, their li early life, their late teen lives, and how they first meet and how they come together, and, uh, and then how they, they join forces against uh, one of the Old Kingdom's uh, perennial ancient enemies, as it were. Uh, so like all my stories, it's, it's a fantasy adventure. It's back in the Old Kingdom and in Ancelstier, uh, the country where technology works but magic doesn't. And uh, there's a return of a number of old favourite characters as well. Now... Did you always know, like even back when first writing Sabriel, that you would tell the story of her parents? Well, I wasn't. I, don't, I never know. <laughs> I never know whether <laughs> I'm going to tell a story or not. Um, I hadn't. I did want to know the story, and I think that's often a driving force with me, where I want to know the story myself. So, uh, I, I wrote Sabriel in the early 1990s. I mean, the 25th anniversary edition is out this year. Well, a number of different lovely 25th anniversary editions have come out this year. Uh, so I was writing Sabriel sort of 93, 94. And of course, the very beginning, uh, Sabriel's mother dies essentially in childbirth. That's in the prologue of Sabriel. And, and right back then, I did think, uh, who, who is she? You know, where did she come from? And it's not addressed in any of the earlier books. Um, so I always did want to know who she was and what her early life was like and how did she get together with, with Sabriel's father, the Abhorson, whose, whose name is Terstil, uh, which only appears one other time, I think, in all the rest of the Old Kingdom books. His, his name is actually revealed in either Lirel or Abhorson. I can't, can't remember which one now, to be honest. I should have checked that before I spoke to him. <laughs> Like many of my my books, it's a story I wanted to know. I wanted to know more about her, and I wanted to know more about Tercial as well, because as you see him in Sabriel, uh, he's had a lifetime of being the abhorson, uh, with all its responsibilities and rigors and difficulties. He's lost his wife. He's secreted his daughter away somewhere safe. In Ancel, well, safer in Ancelstier, but he's also hedged his bets by still continuing to train her as to be an abhorson, to deal with the dead, to, to, to put the dead to rest in case she has to take on, on that mantle. But um, I wanted to know how, how, what was he like when he was younger? I mean, how do, you, how do you get to that place, I suppose, as he appears as that grim older man who is just so weighted down by responsibility and always does what has to be done, which is kind of a feature of being in the abhorson, of course, is the requirement to, that you have to do what needs to be done regardless of, of the personal cost. That was one of the greatest joys for me in reading this was seeing young, young um, Tercio and the way he looks at um, the abhorson of his abhorson in waiting time. He's, uh, I'm going to maybe say this wrong, but tisaneal. Yeah, tisaneal. Tisaneal. Tisaneal right. is how I would say it. But 
as with all my character names, you can say them however you like. I'm, you know, Sabriel, Sabriel, however you like. Lirail, I like Tizaniel. Tizaniel is how I would say it, yeah. So Tizaniel is Tercial's great aunt, uh, great, great aunt, technically, um, who is the abortion, that he is the abortion in waiting to. Um, so, yes, we do get to see another another abortion, this one who's been who's been one for a very, very long time. Yeah, there was a lot of poignancy to that, seeing young, innocent Tercial and um, the way he looks up to Tizaniel and knowing that he, you know, knowing what we know of um, him in Sabriel, like, this is it was very this was a very emotional read i found and i and so i wanted to ask can we just talk about the art of prequels because obviously this isn't the first prequel you've written in the old kingdom series but it's kind of a a much more recent past um yeah clariel is 600 yeah. years earlier so yeah um and and even though this that's a story that connects with with Lyrell and Abhorson and Golden Hand. Um, you know, Clariel is a, is a much, much earlier time in the Old Kingdom. Uh, and yes, it's it doesn't have as many, I guess, direct, uh, the, the, the direct relationship with, with Sabriel, Lyrell, Abhorson is, is much further away, mm. I guess. So, uh, whereas Tercial and Eleanor was much more immediate and there's more, and I guess in terms of just familiar locations, like a Wyverley College, which is important in Sabriel at the beginning, is is even more significant in um, in uh, Tercial and Eleanor. Uh, so there's there's things like that, I guess, which which bring it closer to 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 Sabriel, in particularly. Yeah, I felt like there's such a sense of wonder reading it because when you know. When you go into a prequel where it's about characters where you've seen their fate and you, you kind of know, like, how they meet their ends, <laughs> um, you'd wonder where the story, like, where the unknown in the story will come from. And to me, I loved Eleanor. I loved, I didn't, if you would have asked me before reading this book, like, what what would the character be like? I don't know what I would have had in my mind, but I just found her to be completely delightful and wonderful and I really loved getting to know her. I think I just fell in love with her alongside Tercial. Oh, well, I'm, um, I'm glad to hear that. That's, of course, I love them. I love them too, of course, but uh, I'm expected to since I, I, I made them up. Well, she's an incredibly charming character. Uh, but in terms of the art of a prequel, you know, how do you approach it when you, you've got a certain amount of information locked in? So, like, how do you... Possibly less than you would expect in terms of, of this particular book because um, Eleanor really doesn't get much of a mention at all. We, we don't know anything about her, really, uh, from any of the other books. Um, or, or, no, very little. I mean, in fact, we don't even know... I don't think this is a spoiler because it's right at the beginning of the book. We don't even know that she's from Anselstir originally in any, in any of the other books. And there's also quite a there's quite a quite a wide window I'm working in here, I guess, because even though we know she she does die at the beginning of Sabriel, uh, giving giving birth to, to Sabriel, we don't actually know when that happens in in her her lifetime, 
And it's probably, I mean, when I started looking, I thought, well, it's actually probably later than, than you might think. So she's not 20. She's not, she's, she's probably in her early thirties. So though I actually haven't specifically worked that out. Um, so there's all that time up until then. And I suppose I'm always interested in people's other lives sort of before you know them. I mean, in real life, as well as in, in books, because people often have fascinating, amazing lives and they might, they might have 10 years of doing something incredible and different and astonishing. And then they're doing whatever you know them for. So the person you know, running the shop down the street, who knows what they were doing in their earlier life? Who, who knows what they did in, their early, in, in earlier times? And sometimes it's absolutely extraordinary. I mean, you, you get people like, um, I was just reminded of this because my son was talking about him the other day, uh, T. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia, who in later life, uh, you know, enlisted in the, the Royal Air Force just as an ordinary, um, an ordinary airman. And so you wouldn't necessarily know if you didn't know anything about what he'd done or what his life was like. And also, I think often with artists and authors and so on, when they stop their work, and sometimes, you know, someone who writes an amazing book in their early 20s and never writes anything again, you meet them 30, 40 years later, you would never know necessarily, but they still did have that incredible life way back then. Or, or people who were adventurers or explorers, but kind of settled down. And, and again, you wouldn't necessarily know. Um, so I, I do think there's, a, there's enormous scope to, uh, to find stories in, in, in people's backstory, I guess, which is, has not been, been brought out. Um, and depending on, the, depending on the, the kind of story you want to tell, I mean, it could be an incredible week in someone's life. But you know, otherwise, they have a completely ordinary life. But there was this one week that was absolutely extraordinary. And you tell the story of that. Um, so I, I, I think prequels, I mean, I'm a, I've not actually thought about this until you asked that question in terms of the art of the prequel, um, which goes to show that I, I never really know what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> except that I do know you can find stories you can find stories everywhere. And there's always, you can find stories that fit into the gaps of stuff you already know, uh, whether that's in, 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 in books or it's in, um, it's in, in real life. There's always those, those little gaps. It's just the size of the story that you need to, to fit in, I suppose. Um, and in this case, for Tercial and Eleanor, we, we don't, I never really said very much about, uh, well, almost nothing about Eleanor. And Tercial, not very much either. There's just hints and some references here and there uh, you know, to his aunt and some other aspects of his life. Of course, the other side of that is that apart from those two characters, there is a huge amount of backstory in the books in terms of, of, of the magic, in terms of the sort of deep lore, in terms of the geography, all, all of that stuff. There's actually a huge amount of that, which does which does make writing a prequel or a sequel uh, more difficult in some ways than a, than a completely new book, uh, because it does have to fit in with everything that's been established before, um, which means I have to reread my own work to remind myself of, of things. And, and sometimes I forget and, and other people remind me and I'm like, dang, I've completely forgot about that. I, I'll have to, I have to take that into account now. So that that is that is the that is probably the hardest part about writing a prequel, 
or a sequel uh, to a long established series um, isn't so much the character stories, it's all the, it's all the other stuff. It's, it's the world. Yeah, it's all the continuity, all the continuity aspects. I, it was listening to you talk about it. You mentioned like there's a gap and you're filling that gap. I, that's really what came across when I was reading and it just sort of felt like if you go high level on the old Kingdom series, here's this little pocket of time, you know, of about 10 years. And, you know, this book isn't even covering that whole pocket of time. It's set, you know, just about 10 years before stuff we know really well. And um, so it's this, you know, tiny little moment and it's filled with this big story, like this big, rich, emotional story. And it carried through the whole way this thread of, you know, it's not about how, like, it's about making the most of the time that you've got. And also your uh, famous line about, does the walker choose the path or the path the walker plays in so beautifully in terms of dramatic irony with um, Eleanor getting glimpses of what might be to come. And um, I just, yeah, look, this isn't, I, again, I'm not, I'm, I've got a terrible habit of not asking a question of the author. I just like start talking about the things that I really like. <laughs> oh, I don't know. So that it's that very wasn't fair. really a question. It was just how much I enjoyed the, the themes and the tone and the overall feel of this book was just as someone who loves this world and has loved this world since I was a kid this was a story where I was like I guess when I heard about it I was like oh that's going to be really sad <laughs> and then I read it and it filled me with joy <laughs> so like good thank good. you I'm, I'm glad to hear that <laughs> yeah can we talk about Charlotte Breakspear we can we can <laughs> talk about Charlotte Breakspear yes this was one of my favourite parts of this book and made me chuckle quite a few times is that Eleanor is a huge, huge fan of the famous playwright Charlotte Breakspear. And um, there's a, many works that are mentioned, but particular, particularly there's The Court of the Sad Prince. Um, do you mind if I quote Breakspear? One that no, made please, me... please do. <laughs> so a foolish fool knows not the foolish things they undertake, but a wise fool knows the wisdom of the foolery they make. I really love that and it made me laugh. Oh, How much you. fun did you have kind of with the whole Breakspear part of this story? Oh, it, 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 tremendous. I mean, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I, I mean, it, ca it came from Eleanor's character, really. I, I, knew, from, I knew from the beginning um, when I started writing it, though I didn't actually know really before I started writing it, uh, that she was would-be actor and performer and and I thought well who 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 would she who would she love and and Celstier the country where she grows up where which is out of the sort of World War One level of technology or sort of early 1920s um is is a kind of uh, analog of of England with little bits of other places like Australia at the same time um and I thought well who who would be the preeminent playwright and of course, in our, in our world around that time, you know, Shakespeare obviously would be the most significant. So I thought, well, I don't want Shakespeare. Obviously, this is this is not this is an imagined world. So who could I have instead? And I thought, well, we'll have I'll have Charlotte Breakspear, and um, and it just it just came from there. But of course, it's it's always great fun to to make up uh, extracts from you know, plays or poems. 
uh, from people who didn't actually exist. And, and it's useful as well. It, it helps, I mean, it helps sort of illustrate Eleanor's character. Um, I think it helps, it helps build the world in the way that the creation of small details that, that seem, seem real or real-ish, real as it were, you know, they all combine to help you believe in the reality of that world to, to establish its sort of depth and, and, and breadth. Um, so little glimpses of Breakspeare plays and the mention of the titles and so on suggests that there's, they do exist. There's all those plays are there somewhere. Um, and so that, that all helps that, that, that knitting of the, of, of the whole world together. So yes, it was it was it was fun to do, and also I you know I enjoyed the the little, the, the controversy about whether she was from the old kingdom or from Anselstier, <laughs> uh, which is a little riff on all the people who think Shakespeare was actually you know, you know the plays were were written by other people and and so on. Um, so yeah, I guess it's it's like a lot of things. It's something that I liked. I liked myself um, as a reader. I like that sort of thing, and so of course. That's why I put in my books. I mean, I mean, invariably, everything I've ever written has really been for myself. Uh, you know, it's written for <laughs> me as a reader. Um, so, a lot of things like that are are elements that that I just really like. I really like myself, so of course they they go in. I found it delightful. It did leave me with that slight melancholy feeling of not being able to go and pick up a Charlotte Breakspeare play and read the whole thing, though. I oh, always. Much, much, so much, so much, much harder to write a decent play than to have an, you know, a, a two-line <laughs> extract um, every now and again. So, I would love to see a performance of the Court of the Sad Prince. Court of the Sad. That would I would love to see that too. <laughs> Maybe I'll write it one day, or attempt attempt to write it. So that's the problem when you're inventing genius playwrights who've who've dominated the landscape in two very very different places for hundreds of years. And uh, it's a lot like of pressure said, to put on yourself. Well, it's 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 probably too much pressure. I, I I doubt that I could do it, but but you know maybe I could try, or maybe collaborate with someone cleverer than myself to 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 do that <laughs> would be fun. Well, I would certainly love it. I look forward to that happening. Thanks for agreeing to do that, Garth. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yes, I'm sure I heard myself promise, didn't I? Yes, hand on heart. We're we're running a little bit close to time now, but I just did want to ask, what would you say was the biggest challenge you faced in writing this book and what was the most sort of surprising experience you had? Probably the biggest challenge was quite external to the book and one we've all been facing over the last 18 months is, is just the the pandemic mm. and its its effect, um, its psychological effect, I suppose, um, upon, upon all of us. Um, I actually found it harder to, to write because I was... I was worrying about too much stuff, um, the state of the world and 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 everything. And and the book was the book was very late as a, as a consequence of that. Um, though I did manage to scrape it in just in time to get out this year. Uh, you know, fortunately, while, while still taking all the time necessary, uh, because I'm a great believer that you know you do have to take the time. It's better to have the right book late than the the wrong book. On time, mm. so I was very, very late, but everyone worked very hard with me to uh, to make sure you know we did everything. Uh, but it still still got into this year. 
So I, th I think that that was that existential angst about the state of the world, um, and not not just the pandemic, but I think the pandemic was the straw on the camel's back. So I think that was actually the hardest thing overall in terms of this specific book. Um, the biggest challenge would have been the, the prequel challenge I mentioned earlier in terms of making sure that, you know, everything worked in with what's already been established in the other books. So I was quite often having to double check things. I remind myself of what I'd done before, read my own, my own books, which I, I hate doing, <laughs> but, um, but I have to, obviously, when I'm writing a series or, or any sort of connected book. Um, and yeah, that, that would actually, that would have been by far, by far the greatest challenge because I sometimes, I mean, there was a few times I wrote, I wrote things, I'd write a chapter or half a chapter and then think, oh, hang on a second. I can't, I can't have it work this way because of something that's been established in the other books. So I'd have to actually throw that out. Um, and I also had, I mean, again, for this book, I had a number of I think I've, I wrote five different prologues for this book. I don't always use the prologues anyway. Sometimes I just write them to work things out. But for this particular book, I wrote five different prologues, three of which were basically the same events as, as, as happened in the one that's in the book, but told in different ways. And two were entirely different. Uh, so, uh, so I did have a few teething problems, um, <laughs> but, but all, all books have that. You know, all, all books have have difficulties of one kind or another. Um, I've never written a book that's just been easygoing, easy writing from beginning to end. There's always some difficulty, but it's different difficulties with, with, with each book. Um, so uh, whoever it was who said you, you never know how to you never know how to write a novel. You just know how you wrote the last one. <laughs> so, I mean, I've written a lot of books. You'd think that I would have it sort of sorted out by now. Um, I've written a lot of books over a very long time, but actually each one still always presents their own problems. Um, and, and you don't know what they'll be until you're stuck, until you confront them. <laughs> and it's like, hmm. Um, but of course, there's, 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 always, there's always revision. There's always throwing out stuff that's written and replacing it and backwards and forwards. And that's just part of, part of the, the process for me. Um, everyone's different. Some, some people... Some people can, you know, write impeccable first drafts and everything, everything, everything they put down stays and, you know, others rewrite dozens and dozens of times. I mean, there's and everything in between. Are we allowed to ask what's up next for you? Um, I always like to hear what you've got. <laughs> well, um, it hasn't been announced, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you a visual clue. Okay. Oh, okay. This is great for a po for a podcast when no one. I know that's why I'm doing it. So, so mean. Everyone I'm holding up my left. I'm holding up my. I'm holding up my left hand. <laughs> that may give you a clue of what's what will be out next year. Yeah. Excellent. That is a fantastic clue and fills me with excitement for next. Oh, great! Year. Excellent. <laughs> I think it'll be quite soon. Quite soon, you'll you'll hear about it. Oh quite wow! Yeah. Oh my gosh, that you'll is amazing the, news. You'll hear the title and everything else. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Thank you for that little uh, <laughs> That's spoiler. a pleasure. Yeah. Garth, thanks so much for joining us today. It is always such a pleasure chatting with you about your books. 
thank you very much. It's always a, always a pleasure to to chat to you too, and uh, great to um, to be on the Booktopia podcast. Um, <laughs> so it's a pleasure, and um, and of course, I also sign lots of books for you guys too. So that's worth. That's it is mentioning. true. Yes. At the time of recording this podcast, we have signed copies of Tercial and Eleanor, which are selling quickly. So. so Jump, jump there. on those. Yes. I was a little concerned because, of course, during the pandemic, the books were shipped to me and then taken back. And the truck that came to take them back, I was rather dubious it was going to make it back to Lidcombe. It all looked a little bit, hmm, not sure about this, but I heard that they did they did arrive back safely. So I was greatly relieved because uh, there's a lot of books signed and I didn't want to do it again if somehow they missed <laughs> or failed to arrive. Oh, we, we very much appreciate it. I have myself bought a signed copy of Percy and Eleanor. Um, thank you, so, Sarah. And I, and I really do just want to, I really want to thank you for this book because I really, really loved it. I think it's a, a beautiful addition to this series, which is already such a favourite of mine and the world's. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> Whew, that's a relief. <laughs> And for everyone listening, you can grab your copy of Tercial and Eleanor as well as all the other Old Kingdom books, which I might just cheekily add, are recently released in a very attractive box set. Um, and as well as Garth Nix's wonderful backlist title at your local bookstore or online at Booktopia. Thanks for listening and never stop reading. Thanks to our guests, Amy Kaufman, Jay Christoph, and Garth Nix. You can find links to the books discussed today in our show notes or head over to booktopia.com.au. Stay tuned on Friday for our next episode where we'll be discussing the books we're reading at the moment. And please join us for next week's interview show where we'll be talking with Christian White, Jacqueline Moriarty, and Fiona McIntosh. As always, thanks for listening and never stop reading.